One question you may not ask yourself very often, but which I ask myself quite a lot, is how do you preach in a time of crisis? I can still construct for you an elegant sermon, sound in its exegesis and mellifluous in its delivery. But outside this church, in the country, we approach 200,000 COVID deaths. Millions of people lose their jobs and means of support. Racial inequality continues, and social, economic, and even educational inequality all soar. Political passions flare, violence and anger and fear seep like poison into every facet of our national lives. And what does my elegant, mellifluous preaching say to that world? What does the gospel say to that world? In a way, this parable about the laborers in the vineyard with all its issue of work and wages and fairness is tailor-made for my mission of connecting, of reconciling issues of faith in the workplace. And on a peaceful Sunday, in an uneventful year, that's probably what I'd do. And yet, that does seem inadequate right now. That sermon would take the Gospels and try to tame them, to tone them down, would use them to improve the world that we have made rather than to question it. In that sermon, the Gospels become a guide to self-improvement, an individual message to us, facilitating our own personal devotions. But in that sermon, the Gospel does not speak to the world of COVID, to the world of racism, to the world of hurt and anger and hatred, that is just out there beyond these walls. And it's not a satisfactory answer to the question of why Jesus died for us. Was it really only to make us just a little bit better? Or was it for something bigger than that? So how can we read this parable in a way that relates to the world that will force us, force us, to get involved in that world as people of faith. Well, here's the thing. The real key to this parable, the thing which makes it truly radical, and the thing which will drive us out into the world beyond ourselves, beyond our own comfort zone, is not really the story itself. It actually lies in those very first words where Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. This parable is not a guide to self-improvement. It's not a guide to fairness in the workplace. It's not a complex historical allegory. It is a story which opens the possibility here and now of building the kingdom of God on earth. It's a story which enables us to look at the world around us the world that we have made and disfigured, our human kingdom, if you will, and to visualize, to understand, 
what a world that looks like the kingdom of God might be instead. That's what Jesus lived and died for. To show us that the way that we are living and the way the world is now is not the only way to live or the only way the world can ever be. From the earliest days of the church, there have been arguments about whether Christ's promise of the kingdom is present or future tense. Do we have to wait for the end times? Or did something start with Jesus' incarnation that has instituted God's kingdom, albeit one that still requires that final act of God to perfect it? But has something started? I'm firmly in that second camp. For me, the clincher comes right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. When he returns to his hometown of Nazareth and goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as told by St. Luke, Jesus reads from the prophet Isaiah, He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is our mission statement, to be sure, but it's not actually at the heart of what he says that day, because he then immediately goes on. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, he says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. At that moment, something begins. Something has been inaugurated. Through Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, there is now the possibility to work with God, to bring about, to make apparent God's kingdom. So what does the parable of the laborers in the vineyard tell us about the kingdom of God and how we might bring it nearer? Well, there are two distinct parts to the parable. First, how the workers are treated, and second, how the master replies to the complaints of those who have worked the whole day. The first may be important in terms of a general notion of God's generosity towards everyone. But what it really does is set the table for the critical second part of the story. Because this is the part of the story where we are being spoken to. We who so often feel virtuous because we come to church, virtuous because we work hard, virtuous because we've made the most of ourselves, virtuous because we are decent people. Yes, God is talking directly to us. Will Morris, he says, in my kingdom, I choose to be generous. I choose to reward equally those who to your worldview seem undeserving. It's not that you can't also share in this, but just that I also care to give it to others. I choose to give it to others. In my kingdom, the poor, the hungry, the uneducated, the people of color, the ex-felons, those whom you dislike and those whom you never even see. They will also share in what I have created, in the abundance around us. But how dare you call yourself a Christian and grumble about what I choose to give others? Sure, you've worked hard, but you had every chance in the world. From birth, from that very first thing in the morning, you were on the inside track. 
I gave you that. You did not earn it. But for those without those advantages, well, now I choose to give it all to them too. Don't complain. Don't be envious. Don't feel hard done by. Work with me. Because, Will Morris, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. And this challenge parable and others tell us how we can help that to happen. The Bible is not a self-improvement manual. It's not a call only to personal change and transformation, although that is hard enough. It is truly a call to communal, to community transformation, driven by an understanding, imperfect though it may be, of what the kingdom could look like and how we might get there, of how different God's kingdom is to the human one that we have constructed and in which we live. This is what the gospel says to us about the world out there, the world beyond our walls. You all know it's a world of hurt, of anger, of discrimination, of disorientation, of poverty, of hunger, of historic wrongs, of rumors and conspiracies, of hatred and scorn. But it does not have to be like that because now we know what the kingdom of heaven looks like. This is what our world could look like if we set aside our own concerns, our own personal program, our vanity, our pridefulness, and work with God to build the kingdom day by day by day. But it won't happen on its own. We're going to have to work for it with God. And it's that that answers the question I've been asking myself. This is the gospel which much, that must be preached in these times about what the kingdom of heaven is like, about how God's kingdom is truly present tense. But also that that will only mean something if we go out into the world to bring that gospel, that good news, to fulfillment. Amen.